0: Well, if you're keeping score at home, dear listeners to the Yacht Rock Podcast, out of the main, you know that my co-host John here is keeping score. Yeah, um, he's proud of the fact that we've interviewed more drummers than bass players so far. But today we are going to inch closer on the bass player tally. Yes, sir. Well, bass uh, drummers love bass players, so there's there's really it's a friendly rivalry. That's right. They're the chocolate, the peanut butter sitting in the back. Right. <laughs> so, well, without further ado, let's bring on said bass player. Yep. We are really thrilled to have, uh, be able to welcome to the show uh, Lance Hoppen, longtime bass player for the bands Orleans and, uh, Orleans and current frontman. Uh, Lance, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I have that right, right? You're, you're sort of fronting the band uh, on this tour that we're going to talk about.
1: That would be overstating it um, in terms of being long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm the last of the original four. Uh, so, so I've been here since I was 18 years old at uh, 1972 and in 72. So I've seen it all. Um, and we've had probably over a dozen different versions of the band at all times, two or three of those original four uh, continuing, whether it was Larry and me, or John and Larry, or John and me, or Larry, me and Wells, you know, like different time periods, different formations. But uh, only until recently, um, uh, John Hall retired from the road uh, officially um, in March. So that leaves me last man standing of the original. But again, along the way, we've We've gathered to us many, and um, it would be, and and the workload is spread out. Yeah, I sing lead on a bunch of stuff, but so does Fly Amaro, so does my brother Lane, so does our new guy Tom Lane. You know, so it's a, it's really a, a band and a group effort.
0: Awesome. Well, we should, before I forget to, I would be remiss if we don't thank Kim Riley from Seaside Music Mm -hmm. Management, who facilitated this interview, because you have, amongst a number of other shows, you have a show coming up um, that our friends in the Miami area will find relevant, and certainly our friends at Yacht Rock Miami, and that's a show you have coming up in Hallandale Beach at the Gulfstream Park, so uh, tell us a little about, I'm looking at this, what I would call a tour roster of all the bands that you get to play with this summer and into the fall. And it's a it's a who's who of Yacht Rock and West Coast AOR.
1: We often do three-act bills uh, with Pure Prairie League and Firefall. It used to be Pure Prairie League and Poco or Firefall and Poco, you know, that kind of combination. Then a lot of shows with Ambrosia. Um, but these particular shows uh, coming up are Firefall, Pure Prairie League. The one in Hallandale Beach is a solo, just us. Um, and then later in the year, we have a couple where we will be backing uh, Walter Regan, uh, John Fort Coley, um, Peter Beckett from Player, you know, in, inside our show, much like the Yacht Rock Review does. Um, we have that experience. If you see this poster behind me, Sail Rock Tour, that was, you know, back in 2013, a similar thing to Yacht Rock Review. Our review where we were the house band, and there were seven other acts that we backed on that, from Christopher Cross on down. So we often do that, and uh, I, I really like those shows. I mean, I like doing our own shows, but I really enjoy probably more doing these mix-up things where we uh, bring somebody on and do two, three, four of their hits, and move on to the next guy. You know, keeps it interesting.
2: So that show that you're talking about—that's October fifteenth, St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Uh, So as you said, Peter Beckett, Walter Egan, John Ford Coley. It says also plus Firefall and the Babies. Is that correct?
1: That's right. So they're coming as full bands. Okay.
2: Will this be like a a festival kind of thing? How is it being built? So it must be a pretty long show, or is it uh, like multiple stages or something?
1: It's probably. Well, I'm going to guess there. The Firefall and the Babies will have 45 minutes each. Okay. We'll probably have an hour and a quarter. And inside that hour and a quarter, plug in those other three singers, artists inside our show. So you're looking at a two, two and a half hour show of a, you know, mostly seventies, classic rock star. Mm. That seems like so much fun. We
0: had uh, Burley Drummond from Ambrosia on just a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. They had a show also at Gulfstream Park and they were backing up at that night. It was, they were inviting Peter Becker, right, right John? Becker. Yep. Uh, outstage. And we talked about how just how there's like this community of what right. we would call yacht rockers, you know, cause we're looking back and uh, there's been this term applied to it. What is it like collaborating? You said it's more fun or it's different. How is it? Uh, is this like one big happy family where all you guys are kind of interchanging in roles and, and playing together? It's got to be a blast.
1: Mostly happy family. Sometimes not. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, Lance is here to spill the tea. No, that's okay. Again, I'll reference this poster, this Sailing Rock 2013 tour, which uh, kept us uh, on the map uh, post uh, my brother's parting death in uh, 2012. So so that show, again, we were the house band. Uh, Our quintet, John Hall was in the band, myself. And Christopher Cross was the headliner, then us uh, was Firefall player, Robbie Dupree, John Ford Coley, Al Stewart, um, Peter Beckett. Yeah, so we, and everybody, everybody came out and did their two, three, They probably did three songs anyway, and then we did five, Christopher did five, so it was a ton of work. For Orleans, and specifically myself being the music director. Yeah. Mm. And our drummer, Charlie Morgan, because every day we would sound check every oh, act. wow. Every day. Mm. And we didn't for a long time have a, a designated monitor guy or anything. We started from scratch every day. So we worked all day and then all night, Charlie and me, and then uh, the other guys in, our, in Orleans joined in as needed. Firefall came as a trio, right? So we only need two guys and so on and so forth. Um, So a lot of work, but a lot, like you say, camaraderie taking that entourage around. That summer, I think we did two dozen shows or something. And it was just two hours of solid hits, and the the audiences loved it. Nothing but the hits.
0: I can't believe I I can't get in a Wayback Machine and go see that. Well, (laughs)
2: I'm going to take you in the Wayback Machine right now because I have a question. Let's go back a little bit to the – the recording days and one of the questions that I didn't have written down, but you sort of struck was we recently did an episode where we focused on backup vocals and harmonies and groups that did a lot of harmonization as well as some of the stars of, uh, you know, freelance backup artists. So you guys were uh, well known for your harmonies and uh, that was a signature part of the sound where would you have been in those harmonies? What role did you play? Were you the low guy, high guy kind of now that you're singing more lead and stuff now in front of the band, but where did you sit in that back in the day?
1: Um, all the highest falsetto stuff. That was me. All the ah, stuff like that. So bring in the bottom
2: and singing the top.
1: Uh, yeah. It's often the case with bass players. Is it? Um, okay. And so Larry was the real tenor. Ten, you know, he could hit it in his, in his prime, I've heard him hit D's and even E's full voice, which is stupidly high for most humans. And uh, but all of our ranges changed over the years, and we lost little top sure. or whatever. So my falsetto was even higher than that back in the day, and so that was part of the sound. Um, but we often interchanged um, from song to song, whatever sounded better. And even when we were pretty new and didn't know better, we would change. Parts within a song, like who's singing what, as yeah, a, why I don't as know. As long as it sounds good, oh yeah, right. Well, we got a little more uh, regimented as we went, um, but you'll hear me on top often, or just under Larry, um, in full voice, and then John under me. That was a fairly common stack.
0: Who's laying that basso part in the acapella and uh, still the one?
1: Who's that? I'm still the one? That's an interesting story. Well, John sings bass, okay, and and Wells sang bass wells our drummer a, a bit and so wells did the bass part but john wasn't satisfied with it on certain notes so in the old school manner of punching into tape no way mm-hmm. i mean it was really like word to word like wells and john and, john, and then, oh my god so it's
2: like a frankenstein of uh, those two huh oh my gosh <laughs> frankenstein
1: yeah not easy to edit the way it is now with the Digital files, but uh, that's
2: yeah, crazy. that's a combination of Will's and John. Wow! Yeah. Well, we—that's uh, a fun fact. I can't wait to tell somebody. I know. That. I know. The, <laughs> well, they'll have to listen first, but yeah, <laughs> I, I had—I know you, Tom. You're the bass player, but I have a question. Uh, I'd kind of written down some things I did a while back. We did kind of a micro analysis, a quick analysis of um, "Dance with Me" for reasons you know that have to do with yacht rock nerdness, but. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things to me that really set that song apart was the bass part. And I I had a couple of questions about that. You know, particularly, it starts sort of relatively simply, but then we get into like that second verse, you start arpeggiating up the chords, kind of during, during the solo, it's almost like a walking feel. It's like a root and fifth, but it kind of takes on a walking bass feel. Third verse comes, the arpeggiations are even more elaborate. So I guess my question is, uh, to the best that you can you know, remember, what was the thought process of how you built that whole part? Because it's so planned out and just it's an orchestral part in and of itself.
1: All right. So that's uh, so here's here's the, the skinny on that whole thing. That song was recorded on two different albums. It was recorded twice. It was recorded on our second album for ABC. As was Let to Be Music on that album also, but ABC hated that record. Uh, They didn't hear any hits. It was self-produced. It was maybe indulgent. I don't know. Those were good songs, maybe not recorded all that well. So they passed and they never put that album out until much, much later. Um, When we got heard by Chuck Plotkin at Asylum, he not only wanted to sign the band, he he secured the re-recording rights for those two songs. So Let The Music and Dance With Me were recut. Now, originally when we did Dance With Me, uh, it, it, it started as a, just a guitar lick that John had, that Larry heard. that says you really need to finish that one, and then John's ex ex wife and writing partner Johanna wrote the lyrics, and we, you know, so we we uh, started doing it live and did our our version, very different than every any other thing we were doing. We were doing funky R B rock, you know, club band, you know, that kind of thing. So it was an anomaly. So when it came to the bass part. It was, you know, the obvious was the 1-5, you know, simple. And and I took a shot at it, and it really it wasn't working. And, J- and Wells took a shot at it, too, and John took a shot. Everybody took a shot at it. But when Larry took up, he got to the thing, and he went, doo, 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 doo. it was like, okay, game over. Ah. <laughs> there you go. Because Larry was, uh, before I was there, he played most of the bass in, in the band, and in other bands prior, he was bass player, uh, before he became a guitar player or a keyboard player. So he's a very proficient bass player. So having done it on the first record, when we went to cut uh, the electric music album and, and dance with Me as yes, the one that became a hit, even though I played 99% of all bass tracks in Orleans, it was like a no contest. I just handed him the bass and said, this is your wow. deal, mm-hmm. you do it. And in fact, on that record, Larry played... Uh, not only bass and sang the lead part, he played the, the uh, road, the piano, and he played the melodica solo. He's all over that record and all over all of our records. So yeah. um, he's most of that record. I mean, John played guitar. Will's overdone some drums and uh, we put some vocals on it. And uh, Wow. That's about
0: it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, what? I've heard that song a million times and I listened to it today specifically for the bass line. And what I realized is because the bass line is what it is, it pretty much drives the rhythm section of that whole song and go back and listen to how quietly back the drums are mixed in that tune. They're they're just there to keep time. It's a, it's
1: a counter melody. It's more than just a bass part. And it's mixed plenty hot yeah. uh, because of that. And in fact, I think this, if I remember correctly, and I think I do, the track was cut without a click and, because we weren't using them back then. And uh, it was just John's guitar and Larry on piano. That was the original. Oh, so
2: the bass is an overdub then. I got gotcha. you.
1: And then the drums were like, okay, what are they supposed to be? And the kick drum was first. And then the top drum, oh, wow! You know, it's, it's like put together that way. But in the end, it sounds organic, you know. Wow. Well, another
0: fun fact. And. Yeah. It was, the,
1: you know, <laughs> Chuck was really good at that, at like at sculpting things and figuring on um, as we went. So that was put together a um, piece a time.
2: So when uh, Wells then later on moved off of drums to keys and stuff, and then Jerry Murata came in, how did that um, not to not, not to suggest one is necessarily better or whatever than the other, but how different was it for you? Did Was the feel something you had to adjust to over time?
1: Right, so, you know, uh, five or four young men, you know, everybody vying for whatever, me being the, the silent new kid trying to just hang on for dear life, there was a lot of turmoil all the time, like, you know, my songs, my this, my that, you know, as as the stakes got higher. And Wells' main complaint was, oh, I want to play keyboards and I want to do, you know, I just don't want to be just the drummer. He's fantastic. He was a fabulous, unique, stunning drummer. Mm. But he was a really good keyboard player too. And he wrote his songs and he wanted to play them on keyboard. And so his complaint was that. So that's when we searched for another drummer and Jerry Murata being just 20, I think, having not had a big... This was that was his first big wow. gig. Of course, he went on to have a tremendous career, but he was younger than me when he came in. And um, so then we had double drums on some stuff. We had drums and percussion on some stuff, or Jerry would play drums and Wells would play keys, and then we'd have the two guitars. So there was a lot of uh, orchestration availability with that with that um, that group that way, and. Standing between the two drummers as the bass player, pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. So unlike,
0: There's, I was going to say, unlike me, you probably have hearing deficiencies in both yeah, ears. Then, right?
1: I, I, I can still hear pretty much, but I like closed captions on my TV. I bet. Um, <laughs> and their styles were so different. That's what I mean. Yeah. Wells was very flamboyant and exciting. Jerry was, you know, as simple as and lay it down as as you know. He didn't want to. Don't give me too many fills. Right. You know.
0: Well, I, hopefully I'm going to get another fun fact out of you, Lance, because I want to ask your version of events that we heard as described by Bill Schnee uh, months and months ago. And we had him on the show, and he told us about a demo tape that he received in the mail, and he threw it on the box to go you know, into the box, he thought. The to be listened To, to go box. listen to yeah. later, right? And the box was full, and it ricocheted off the top and fell behind the box. And it wasn't until months later. He's like, oh my God, there's a there's another tape back here. What's this? Puts it in and says, I gotta record this song. Do you know what song this was? It's Love Takes Time. You gotta
2: take
1: some time Yeah, I'm gonna guess it was that because. And um well that explains something.
2: <laughs> yeah, by the time he had called or whatever, you guys had already cut it, you already had a producer
1: and you were all like ready to go. <laughs> right. So so the first time John left the band was in 77, because again, five bulls in a china shop, and it just <laughs> kind of blew up and he just said, I you know, I, I got other things I want yeah. to do. So he went off and then there was chaos and then a reformation of the band. Um and Demos, and the last song to be added to that demo tape was a living room demo recording of "Love Things Time." That Larry had done, mm. um, and that was the deal clincher. We uh, we were shopping. Uh, we wanted to be with Epic, frankly, and they were very interested. But there was a new new label, Infinity, an MCA subsidiary, and they had this big checkbook. So our lawyer just said, "Just give them a number; it's too big, you know." And they'll go and and they said yes. So <laughs> so we went with infinity, and uh, for better or worse, we had "Love Takes Time" as a hit, and uh, and shortly after that, the label folded. It was <sighs> it was a bad time for the industry. Uh, cassette tape was gutting sales. Um, the oil crisis. I mean. Vinyl was, you know, in short supply. Right. It was not good. So we got caught up in that, um, and into, and then into the eighties, which were not kind to us,
0: really. Well, Bill told us, John, if I recall correctly, that he considers that the one that got away from his perspective.
1: Yeah. Well, it would have been nice to have Bill uh, produce because, again, we went into the studio with no producer. We went uh, thinking we had a clue, and we went to the record plant in New York, uh, Roy Sakawa, the owner who produced John Lennon and whoever, you know, everybody, Roy saw what was going on. He says, guys, let me help you out here. So, so he became the producer in fact, and, uh, and we spent every dollar, every dollar. And then <laughs> oh,
2: oh. <laughs> who ended up uh, singing lead on that? I don't have the credit in front of me.
1: That was Larry's song. He wrote that with his, with his ex-wife. Uh, All right. He's on the Diamond. lead vocal. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And you know, in his, in his absence, I had to, we had to divvy up that workload. Who can sing still 1? Who can yeah. do, the no. so Love Takes Time fell to me and I was like, oh my God, this is really, really hard. Hey, <laughs> I don't have his, ra- I don't have his range. And it's just, even in his range, it's, it's a bear, right? So I wrestled it to the ground. We, we uh, <laughs> you know, we figured these things out in, uh, when he passed in 2012 All I really wanted to do was finish the year uh, and and that was 40 years and I said, that's enough. And then somebody stepped up with this tour I've been Mm -hmm. mentioning for the 2013 and that rejuvenated things. So we had to figure out how to carry on and and, uh, with integrity. And we learned who could do what, and uh, I think we've uh, done a good job in the last ten years. You've done a few uh,
2: recordings recently. I mean, we've got the uh, the Nashville sessions, we've got the work at home stuff I, uh, that was that pandemic uh, recordings, and then of course the Christmas album. So you've been
1: busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't. Uh, we had to learn new skills. Pandemic I made mean, everybody right. learn new stuff, right? So every one of us learned home recording, audio, video, and then how to put it all together, and. Uh, <clears throat> That Christmas album was a six month project that I, I I was at the center of with my engineer friend. And um it's very tedious, you know. It's like <clears throat> you I'm gonna sing all the parts, I gotta sing all the parts, and then like demo them, and then I'm gonna send it out and you replace that one and you replace that one, and you send it, you know. So everything takes longer and especially if you don't have it right the first time, you have to again. As opposed to being in the same room and knocking stuff out, ideas and and then performances. But yeah, we got it done.
2: Would you guys back in the day have sung three around a mic kind of situation or each guy would have his turn?
1: Yeah, always back in the day was three, four guys around the mic. Nice. And you have to then each get it right. Yeah. You have to in in tune the right lyric, the same phrasing, (laughs) blah, blah, blah you know, everything. And then you have to do it again. You have to double it. That was the right? norm. Right. right? That's, you know, you didn't know any other way. Yeah. Right. These days it's all, you know, each to his own mic. We'll fix it, you know, get close and we'll fix it later.
0: Um, <laughs> We've said that so yeah. many times on the show.
2: Yeah.
1: It's doable, you know, it's right. good, it's,
2: but it isn't the same. It is not the same. <laughs>
1: you still don't want to give up the organic, uh, real reality of it, but you have a lot of tools to, uh, enhance the performance, let's put it right, that way. Right. So I had a question about the the
0: Nashville recordings that John referenced and then this work at home album twenty twenty, we just referenced, there's something called Woodstock mixes of Still the One and Dance With Me. So could you describe what those two records are because there's some overlap in terms of tracks and I don't know what's
1: a remix, what's a re record, are they all re records? This is some third party who put together a playlist of stuff from various oh. records and called it work at home. Like, you know?
0: Oh, it's listed in your discography on Spotify. It is.
1: Well, yeah. it's a Spotify thing. It's not an actual mm. album or wow. gotcha. a product. Well, that- it's a Spotify playlist that somebody, somebody authorized. Yeah.
2: They've got it That's listed as an album, even though like you say, it isn't. Wow. interesting.
1: Well, we, management has done a good job of stamping out um, uh, unauthorized things, but if it's there, I guess it, you know, it's got it's there for a reason. Yeah, but if you're going to work at home, you can listen to <laughs>
2: Orleans. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you go. That's I, I, thing, right? Everyone's working at home, so why not listen to
1: Orleans? There you go. So right. it might have been management is also our label, so he, they might have uh, put. That okay.
0: Together. Okay. Interesting. Somebody.
1: Did. All right. Well, there's fun facts,
0: and then there's a uh, what unfun facts, surprise, yes. <laughs> mystery, <laughs> mysteries wrapped <laughs> in enigmas. Oh. That's right. <laughs> cool. Um. Awesome. So, well, you've got this, like we said, we, we want to help uh, the folks in Hale and Dale at Gulf street park uh, promote the show. So you sh- need to get out and see Orleans. You said, are you headlining and you're the only act, or is there an opening act on Thursday, July 20th? It's like a
1: two forty fives with an intermission kind of show. It's an evening with, and I think we've played this venue before, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But, uh, I'll see it when I get there. Yep. They all blend together.
0: Right, right. Well, that's July 21st. So if you're listening to this uh, before July 21st, still time to get tickets. Uh, and then I'm looking at all these dates. You've got two more coming up in Florida. You've got
1: – yeah, go ahead. Jackson, yeah, Jacksonville the next night on the 22nd uh, at the Florida Theater, also with the uh, Pure Prairie League and Firefall, and then over to Clearwater, Ruth Eckerd Hall the next night, same same act. Same, same three acts. Excellent!
0: Wow. Do you anticipate you're going to stay as active on the road, uh, maybe into next year, or is this just because we're out of COVID now and we can do it?
1: Well, things are still spotty. You know, it's still like touch and go. Promoters are freaking out because of the economy and the, you know, people only have so many dollars and what are they going to spend them on? And the more they get sucked up for food and gas and housing, tickets like go down the list. So it's still very kind of precarious for everybody out there. Travel is absolutely no fun. It is just a nightmare. Mm. You don't even know if you're going to get where you're supposed to go. And we take that chance every time we leave the house. So those are some of the detractors. And this year we may just, if we do two dozen dates, that's probably about right. Um, Normally we do, you know, three dozen or four, maybe 40 would be a good goal and we might get there again, but um, it's still, you know, still ramping up. My, I, I'm I'm uh, 18 months away from 70. No and, way. And, so, and cashing in my social security and such. You know? <laughs> wow. So, so, so I'm going. We're going at least that far into the spring of 2024. Maybe we'll if we take a swan song on a cruise. That wouldn't be a bad idea. But no, we have no intention of stopping. But everybody's getting older. Uh, health health concerns are, are mm-hmm. real. Um, and, uh, it's not easier to travel. It's harder. So, so, uh, we'll do this as long as anybody wants to hear it. And as long as we're capable, I'm, um, having had to replace guys over and over again, you know, over the, over the decades, I'm not really looking forward to replacing anybody
2: yeah. again, ever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, cause it, it, you lose, you lose, you know, you lose institutional memory, right? Right. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one thing to have four guys who've been together for 40 years. Another, another thing to have a band that's 40 years old and, but not the same, you know? So, well, so we, you know, we have to keep reinventing ourselves. Absolutely.
0: Well, I guess all the more reason why people need to get out and see you this summer, this fall, next spring, who knows uh, when the Swan song. Right, will be?
1: When we do a show, I often ask, right. You know, pretty much after the first, second song. Okay. Who's, who's never seen a show before? Orleans show and the hand, you know, they had go up. They go, well, it's a good thing you didn't
0: wait much longer. <laughs> well, that's all the impetus I need. I know where I'm going to be October 15th, and I am going to see uh, Orleans Firefall. All Bang. right, yeah, Peter Beckett, Walter Egan, John Ford Coley. It's like a dream come true. How do we get Ambrosia on the bill so I can just get it? Kick all my bucket. <laughs> all, all your list favorites.
1: Yeah, we used to do a lot of shows with them. We haven't done any recently, but that's always a good time as well. Yeah. Well, great.
0: Well, this has been awesome. I'm going to ask if you have a few more minutes, though. We're going to do something a little unorthodox, unorthodox, Lance. And at the end of every podcast, John and I do something called the lightning round, and I'll explain that in a minute. Um, We typically let the guests go before uh, we do our lightning round, and there's three things that we kick off quickly. Uh, It's called Float Your Boat, and we ask each other if a certain song, whether or not we think it sounds like Yacht Rock or not, right? Uh, oh, and we'll interview your cat coming on screen now, too. Miles. Uh, Miles thank nice. You yourself, no. Miles. The second thing is, is uh, we talk about a buried treasure, maybe a song that either – Uh, was a hit but we totally forgot about or something that's been buried to the point where no one knows it we got to bring it out and then the last thing is is we go off the map which is something that maybe isn't Yacht Rock but we still want to talk about it and would still fit nice into a a, a playlist with Yacht Rock so you'd be the first guest that ever joined us for the lightning round are you up for it it's not a quiz I'm just going to ask you a question about three songs that you already know the answer to right, John you ready to go yeah, am I doing mine, too, or are we going to just uh, blaze through yours since they're all Orleans-related? Mine are all Orleans-related, and I have a question for Lance on every single one. All
2: right, let's do those, and then we can tie mine on the end after the fact. We'll, up, we'll let them go. I should know the answers well,
0: to well, we'll Oh, see. you'll know the answers. Well, see. Well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so along the way, I discovered what I thought was the quote-unquote yachtiest Orleans song, because you're right, the hits don't sound like the rest of the catalog in my mind. But there's a song that features sax pretty heavily. Um, and that is a song that, John, do you agree that this might be the Yaddies or Leans tune? And that's Spring Fever. Spring- So what I wanted to ask you about spring fever is, do you recall how Michael Brecker got brought in as the saxophonist?
1: Right. So, uh, we were recording in LA. Michael was in New York, um, you know, consented to come do the session, took a flight from New York, came, did the session, took a red eye back to New York. I mean, the guy was like work, 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 work. And he just, Played you know track after track just laying it down, and he said he was inspired to play as if he were uh, a, a slide guitar. Oh wow! So if you hear some of those some of those down down those kind of things, he was that was what we was emulating, and we took his tracks and did a little uh, you know flip back and forth to create the uh, the solo and then the fills that we hand selected from it. But he was a trooper. Came in and knocked it out and then back to New York.
0: Was the song conceived with sax in mind or is that something later on? We said, you know, what would go here is some good sax. Who do we get? Uh,
1: that I can't, that I, I don't know that Larry had that in mind. That's another of Larry's songs. Mm. Um, but it seemed like an obvious thing to do, right? In retrospect. Yeah, it sounds great. All right, John, buried Treasure.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if you uh, introduced me. I think you found this and introduced it to me. Right. But Lance, are you familiar with the Earl Clue cover of "Dance with Me"?
1: I've heard it. I I'm not like intimately familiar, but I've heard it. Yes.
0: Well, I was going to ask you if you bothered to learn the bass line that Lewis Johnson threw down.
1: <laughs> you kidding me? <came in. laughs> <laughs> I have enough trouble playing my own stuff.
0: Uh, well, now you have a homework assignment. I think
1: everybody
2: says that. Did you learn Louis Johnson's baseline? You could stop right there. No, you kidding me? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah,
1: did, 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 did you learn Jocko's stuff on Joni? Right, Jones? right. No. Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right, last one. We're going to move into off the map. I've noticed that, um, and of course, I might have my facts wrong based on what Spotify is putting on there. But I believe on multiple occasions, I know at least once, you've covered Dancing in the Moonlight. I'm assuming, I always wondered why they picked this song. And then I realized there's this connection with, I'm assuming the reason you did that was because of the connection with Wells Kelly or no, was there another reason?
1: Before there was Orleans, there was a band out of Ithaca, New York, Larry's band called Bafalongo that went through several changes. The, the le- And at one point, second album, they picked up a uh, Sherman Kelly, who was the author of that song, the brother, the older brother of Wells Kelly and they, so Buffalo Longo had the very first cut on that, on a United Artists album in 1969. Um, that band continued to change roster, and Wells was then included. So it was Larry, Sherman, Wells, Bob Lineback, who's been in our band, and the John Hall band, and a and a bass player, Milton <coughs> Jay. So that was the final version of that band. Oh. And when Wells quit, it just put the last nail in the coffin. John, Wells quit to join John Hall in Woodstock. And... And then that blew up Buffalongo. And then they invited Larry to come down. That's how Orleans began. So from the very get-go, Orleans fledgling was playing Dancing in the Moonlight because it carried over from the, from the Bafalongo days. And then we played it We played it as a quartet every gig until uh, King Harvest, who was the other thing that came out of the demise of Bafalongo. Half the band went to there, Sherman some other Boff alumni and they cut King Harvest and had the hit on it in 73, at which point we stopped playing it. Cause you don't play, you know, if you're, if you're trying to be your own thing, you don't play cover songs on the radio. Right. So we let it go for all those years. And then in 2005, finally came back and recorded our own version that you've, that you've mentioned. I love yeah, it. it goes back. It pre, the whole thing goes hmm. back to Wells and Larry and Sherman prior to, to Orleans. And there you go. And we
0: end the show on a nice, another fun fact. Um, loaded, with hearing, them. yeah, loaded with fun facts. So that was cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you joining us for the lightning round. Uh, it's a maiden voyage for the guests to be on the lightning round. Um, do, will you be playing that? Do you guys play that song live?
1: That uh, absolutely every time. You know, awesome. Got to play. We got to play the three hits and and that, and then figure out what else. What else we can fit in, whether it's forty five minutes or ninety minutes, or whatever. Right. right? Okay. Right, we we'll, we'll play all the. Uh, you know the hits, the fan favorites, and then some stuff people don't know. Constantly turning things over.
0: Well, I went. I spent about a week going through your entire catalog, um, which some of which I wasn't familiar with, and that's when I realized it's got to be a great show because there's so much great like R and B sort of jam band stuff right. mixed in with what I thought Orleans was mostly. It's just it's got to be a great live show.
1: Yeah, and again, so, some band, some versions of the band were hotter than others in terms of being able to improvise and go 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 like we don't do compared to what anymore or mm. things like that, you know, which were they blazed in their day. We're more, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a song guy mostly, you know, John always wanted to be the jam guy. I'm more, more, more about song structure, mm-hmm. and, more tension and, and very specifics, you know, <laughs> yeah. this part, you know, and not just, okay, whatever.
0: You know? right. So, <laughs> Yep. Yep. All right. Well, knock 'em dead this this summer and into the fall and into the spring before you decide to uh, start collecting that uh, social security. Is
1: that what you said? <laughs> yeah, that's not going to make me rich, but you know, right? It's, it's just it's a mile marker yeah. seventy. I have to th- start thinking a little different.
0: Well, again, thank you for being on the show, uh, and uh, thank you to Kim Riley at uh, Seaside Music Management for hooking it up. And everyone, check out the Miami show wh- or wherever you are. Go see Orleans. Thanks, Lance. Thanks, guys.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
0: Well, that was a, a surprising number of fun facts. Yes, and a
2: surprise uh, entrant into the uh, Lightning Round sweepstakes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was nice <laughs> to have the guest actually participate. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. With, yeah, with more fun facts along the way. That's right. Right. So, yeah. well, now, you know, the bonus is that. Not only do I get to do this part of the lightning round by myself, but we get to use the sound effect again. All right, all right, all right, all right. Well, recently, as of maybe two weeks ago, ago from recording this, um, Stephen Bishop was kind of making a big sort of to-do about the fact that one of his um, his best of, greatest hits, which had only been available on CD suddenly became available on all the streaming services. So um we're going to pick one from there because Stephen Bishop is um what I say? I was going to say unquestionably yachty, but I'm not sure if that's true. But how about this song? Let's play a little bit. Uh, here's one from the, the compilation. This is from Best of Bish and this one's called Unfaithfully Yours with a parenthetical title One Love.
1: One Love
0: Hmm. It's kind of like representative where I fall on Stephen Bishop generally, is that I sometimes think it's extremely yachty and some stuff I'm like, I don't know, it's kind of a little too soft. It's uh, there's some yachty elements to that though. How about I answer I the question? So. Here's the question a okay. different answer to a different question that you're not asking. Okay, that's good. I know I know <laughs> what I'm doing for the next forty five <laughs> minutes or so. Uh listening to best of Bish
2: absolutely right.
0: very good very good well, i think i took well, that one a little above 50 not much but i think i do i think i would too because there's this it's like you said it's um you wouldn't really call that a shuffle or it's like a fast you, 6 8 it, it almost feels more like swing than it does
2: shuffle and i know that's kind of a fine line of a difference but yeah that's is a it's
0: difference. and it, there's almost a doobie bounce with that keyboard part there but not quite yes. the doobie bounce right, right. so yep. yeah uh, it's knocking on the door, or should I say it's knocking on the porthole. Bingo. If All you right. didn't say it, I was going up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else you got for I the got a buried treasure,
2: and uh, maybe it's good that uh, we didn't have um, Lance on with us for this uh, because the, the song that I had set aside for the uh, uh, buried treasure for me was the one that uh, sort of tanked. It was going to be the follow-up single to Still the One, and I I still think Reach is a really great album track. Um, I remember when we had John Hall on, he, I think this is the one that he pointed out that in his mind fits the mold of what Orleans was all about, sort of a southern New Orleans-y gospel thing meets a funky jam band sound meets three-part harmonies. And other than the double-time gospel stuff at the end, I think Reach is a pretty solid buried treasure. Let's hit some of that.
1: You got to reach a little bit higher.
0: That's the kind of sound that I was thinking of when I described it as like this funky hippie, um, you know, jam band type of outfit. That that's a lot of what their catalog is if yeah. you dig deep. But I could see where that would be
2: um, sort of a division, you know, because you know Lance was saying that he's much more ordered. He likes things arranged. He likes things everything in their place. And John's mm-hmm. more of a wing it guy, and that that can always be a clash. So um, ultimately, I guess it tanked. And um,
0: does that mean Lance was right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'll tell you, I love that song, but not as a, like a radio hit. Agreed. That's why I have it under here as a buried yeah. treasure. So, yeah. all right, off the. But map. I do think, by the way, I do think "Spring Fever" would have been a radio hit. I do oh. think that would have charted. But all right, Tom, the A and R guy, speaks. <laughs> this is why I'm, I don't have a career in music, right? Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> what do you got for right. off the map? Off is it the August? Map. Red? It is not. It is okay. also Orleans. Okay. And
2: in 2016, they managed to pull out of uh, the Archives an album that was originally released in 1994, and it was called Analog Men. It was sort of the original, the main typical members of the band back together, uh, mid-'90s. And so it's not yachty, it's out of time frame, but uh, there's a couple of really solid songs on there. My favorite one that jumped out, At least on the initial listen, is this one called Love's Just Not for Other People.
0: Well, I think that floats my boat more than the bitch dude does. <laughs> it's, it's solid hooky stuff. Well, you remind me of this Analog Man, right? Men. Well, there's a song, Analog Man, that's on these two compilations that I thought were records. I demand to know who's playing a fast one with Spotify and these albums that don't really exist.
2: Yeah, that's that's like the new thing is you want constant new content, the appearance of new content all the time. So there's stuff
0: being repackaged and replaced all the time. Yeah. Well... The song "Analog Man" appears on this fake album "Work at Home" as well as did. Did you get the understanding that the the, the Nashville what is it the There's a 2014 record called "Love Takes Time" ten authorized hits by Orleans that probably was never a record either. Probably not. Sounds like that was another management put that together playlist
2: release it under the guise of an album hijinks. High jinks on the high seas. There's I. There's a lot of high jinks going on on Spotify these days. I'll tell you. <laughs> you think so? All right. Yeah. Well, I. I don't know. I'm not going to say
0: to you. Hoi